Let's turn now to read the Word of God in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, and in Psalm number 73. Psalm 73, and we read the whole of the psalm. The title of the psalm is A Psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death, their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are, they are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace, violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness, their hearts overflow follies. They scoff and speak with malice, loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. All is at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. Though they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terror. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant, I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in the heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. I mean, this is God's word. We trust that you're blessed to us uh, reading from it. When I turn to praise God and uh, sing Psalms, and on in Psalm number 31, on page 36. Psalm 31, on page 36. And you I've taken refuge, Lord. You are my shelter in distress. Oh, let me never be ashamed, but save me in your righteousness. I'm seeing from verse 1 to verse mark 6, God's praise. In you I've
Psalm number 73 in the book of Psalms, and we're going to read at verse 23. Psalm 73 and at verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. And down to the end of the psalm. Now, a new year is always a time for reflection. It's also a time for reminders and for resolutions. But if we're honest, it also, it's also a time when there, are, there is the fear of the unknown because we don't know what this year will have for any of us. When we come to look at this psalm, it is a psalm that is a bookend in the third section of the psalm book and it's interesting to note that Psalm 72 which closes the previous section of the book is the book of the king and there is going to be great prosperity in the day of the king but this psalm reminds us of the difficulties that we face in life and the challenging and demanding circumstances in which we have to live by faith and when we read through the psalm, we do understand the struggles that the psalmist had, and the struggle especially with regard to the way in which the ungodly were prospering, and the people of God, he himself, didn't seem to prosper at all. And so he's caught up with what is happening around him, and completely discouraged by that, to the extent that he is actually protesting against God for the way in which this is allowed to carry on. I do feel that for ourselves, 
we can quite easily fall into that kind of trap. And indeed, when we look around us in, in life and in the society in which we live, we can simply conclude, looking at things at a human level, that wickedness and ungodliness is prospering and there are no boundaries. And whatever the, the ungodly choose to do, they, they do it not just doing it, but in a daring way that's in the face of everything that God says to us in his word. And it's so easy for us as the children of God to see that and to be discouraged and even to protest to God as the psalmist did regarding the situation as we see it and the unintelligible way in which the wicked are prospering and the faithful, the people of God, are struggling. And we want to look at these verses today and to do so reminding yourselves that the answer to this problem was found in the worship of God. And we need to carry that with us as we look at these verses. We see that he came into the sanctuary of God and there saw the end of everything in verse 17. And coming into the sanctuary of God is the worship of God. And we know that as soon as we neglect the public worship of God, it's the beginning of our decline as the children of God. The public worship of God is for our strengthening, for our encouragement, and to enable us to live in our world with the faith of the people of God. Neglecting public worship is a recipe for disaster in our lives and it leaves us in a place where we cannot see or understand what's happening to us in our world. We need worship and that's where he came and in worship everything found its proper place. And so today, against that background, we want to look at the verses from verse 23 and to see the way in which we find a newfound commitment of faith. And at the beginning of this year, that's what we are looking for together, that we will find a new commitment to God that will carry us through the year, that's focused on the public worship of God, so that we can live and be encouraged by the word of God instead of being discouraged by the world around us. Let's notice, first of all, that there is a reality. And it's a reality that's completely different to the way in which he saw the world around him. And in that reality, there are three particular aspects of it that speak of the way in which the people of God live in the world and are encouraged in it. And the reality, first of all, we see that there is communion with God. What do we need more than anything else as we journey on through life and all of its challenges? But to have the reality of communion with God in our hearts daily so that we may walk in the strength and in the knowledge that he is the God who is with us. And we see that's the way in which this section begins. Nevertheless, whatever is true, whatever I see around me, whatever is going to happen to the ungodly, nevertheless, I am 
continually with you. And it's interesting that the promise that we regularly rely on as the children of God is the promise that God is with us. And that's so central to the way in which the children of God live as the people of God. Do not fear. I will be with you. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you, he said to Joshua. He says the same thing to the people of God in the prophecy of Isaiah. Fear not, for I am with you. When you go through the waters and through the fire, they will not overcome you and you will not be burned. I am with you. And it's so crucial to embrace that promise so that wherever we go, we do understand that God is always with us. But when we come to think of us being with him or with you, as the psalmist says, then that speaks to us of what we're actually feeling and where we're actually living and recognizing that whatever life, whatever life is seeing around us, that we are continually with God. And so there's, there's a double-sidedness to, to this communion and to this fellowship. There is the promise of God being with us and there is a sensing that we are with him. And that sense of the, the presence of God is something that, that never changes. And if we are honest with ourselves, we will acknowledge that there are times when we question this very thing. And we are searching for the confirmation that God is with us and searching for, to, to reach that place where we are really in the presence of God and we sense that he is walking with us as our companion and that he is with us. And as he does so in that communion, there is, there is the sense of the way in which as we are with him, then he has us in his hand. You hold me by my right hand. When God holds anyone, it speaks of the way in which the person that is held is precious in the sight of God. The right hand is, has a specific significance in the Bible, and it is the place of honor and the place of royalty. And uh, Jesus was commanded by God to sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. It's a place of royalty. It's a place of honor. And here is the psalmist discovering in the worship of God that he is honored with royal, honored by, by the holding of God and by the way in which God sustains him and upholds him every step that he takes. He is with God. He is held by God. And in that way, he has the help of God. And we journey into the unknown of, of, of this year. And we do so with a, with a, a sense of laying hold of and grasping the, the basic truth of Commune with God and of his help, that wherever we go, he will not abandon us.
We may sense at times that we are on our own. But God will not abandon us. He will strengthen us physically. He will strengthen us emotionally. He will strengthen us spiritually. He will take our hand. He will help us. He will lead us. He will guide us. The reality of communion with God. The communion of the Holy Spirit. Through the person of Jesus Christ. Having that sense of, of belonging. And these special relationships. That, that bind the children of God. To the Lord Jesus Christ. By the power of the Spirit. Through which God is our Father. I am continually with you. And that reality also includes direction in life. We see the world going in a particular direction, relentlessly pressing forward, and nothing seems to stop the, the power and the ability of the world to go in its own direction. But we do need to, to grasp the, the reality of the way in which God is directing his people through life. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. You will guide me with your counsel. We perhaps think of, of guidance in the sense of being led in a particular way or, or led in a particular direction. And God certainly guides us. He is the shepherd who goes before us. He calls us by name so that we follow him. And he does so with his counsel. That is with his purposes and plans for us. What he has designed in, our heart, in his heart for us, so he will do. And in the, the reality of the way in which God is with his people we need to grasp the way in which not only is he guiding us with his counsel, but doing us in such a way as to take us to the place where he wants us to be, to experience the promises that he has purposed for us to enjoy. It's not simply giving us a map and find your own way. It's the way in which he is carefully guiding every step that we take, so that the blessings of the covenant of grace, which he has purposed, we will enjoy, so that they will be ours. And so that through these moments in life, we will be changed more and more to be what he wants us to be. It's not going to leave us around in the world, wandering aimlessly and not enjoying the blessing that he has promised to give. He will ensure he will take us there and he will bless us there. And I think that's wonderfully encouraging today that we make our plans. But there is such a thing as divine intention and purpose. And we are thankful today that his plans override ours. And that whatever we choose to do or wherever we choose to go, that he will intervene that he will show us from time to time that he is in control, that he is our guide, that he is doing it in accordance with his plans. And what a joy that is. We read these 
well-known words in Jeremiah 29. I, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for welfare, welfare to give you a future and a hope. God has plans for his children. He's going to bring them back from where they were. And he's going to bring them to where they should be. So that they will walk in his paths. The reality of direction. And how thankful we are that God does overrule our plans and override everything that we purpose to do and that he keeps us in check along life's way. And that he does so, so that afterward, at the end of all of this, that is the time frame that is the present, but that is the afterward that leaves what is now present behind And when the afterward comes, he will receive me to glory. How powerful is that? To have that conviction. As with somebody this week who who clearly is in her last days. And two striking things that she kept saying. And the first of these is, I'm waiting for his word. And the second thing is, I want to go home. And both of these captured the hope that she has in her heart and captured something of what the psalmist has here. The reality of that hope that when life here comes to an end, and too often we are reminded that it does, in different circumstances, both young and old, Sometimes in tragedies, sometimes in traumatic circumstances, always with pain, life will come to an end. But afterward, if we have the the reality that as, as God took Enoch, who walked with God, he was not because God took him. And God, who holds the psalmist by his right hand, it's the God who will lift him up and take him to that glory that lies beyond the reality. Let's grasp the reality that the psalmist has. Let's rejoice in it. Let's embrace it. And let's recognize that as he found this in the worship of God, that this reality is reinforced in our lives throughout the whole of the year as we worship God together. It's a reality that must be reinforced to give us the strength that comes from the reality so that we may live for God despite what an ungodly world wants to do and where it wants to go and sometimes where it wants to take us. The reality. Secondly, we have a response if we truly embrace the reality of the psalmist, we cannot but be moved in our hearts to respond. And how do we expect to respond? We grasp all of these things that, that, that cover the whole of our lives. It is, first of all, with a, with a sense of, of the desire that the psalmist has. Whom have I in heaven but you? When I think of heaven, there is no one there but you. 
And in the simple words of the, of the Hebrew language, it reads literally, who to me? Who matters to me? Who matters to me in heaven? Of course, there is no one that matters to him in heaven but you. This conversation is with God. And we, we can be moved with the thought of, of the people of God who have, who have gone before us. But what is it that makes heaven heaven? Is it not that our Savior is there? Jesus makes heaven heaven in the same way as Jesus makes life in the day of grace here in this world a joy for us. We go, we think beyond that. Who to me? Who matters to me? But you. And on earth, there is nothing that I desire besides you. How often life leaves us desiring and taking delight in things that we have no right to take delight in. To long for things that God has said, you shall not have them and you shall not go there. You shall not do these things. But here in the rediscovering of, of what life with God is, there is this recognizing that desire is taken up with the Lord Jesus. Who to me in heaven? Who matters to me here in this world? There is no one that I desire but you. The desire that speaks from the emotions and the spirituality and the affections and the intellect that has been informed by all that God is, that from there there is stirred up a desire that is fixed upon the precious qualities of the Lord Jesus as our Savior, so that we passionately desire him every day of our lives with an intensity which shows our determination to follow him, to be with him, and to be like him. The response of our desire. A rekindled devotion. Perhaps that's what you need today. That God will blow upon the flame that is ready to, to be extinguished. And that from this engagement with this word in the public worship of God that your waning desire will become a driving force in your life every day in such a way that it will simply take over who you are and will simply say, make you say as a, the church says in the Song of Solomon I am my beloved and my beloved is mine my desire is for him and his desire is for me. The beauty of being in that place where it is you and the Lord Jesus and where nothing else matters. And of course we have responsibilities and other things do matter but the priority of our desire is caught up 
with the beauty of Christ and to longing for him. And that response which speaks of our desire is also a response that leads to confidence. We need to be confident as the children of God. Not confident in ourselves, but having that confidence in our God because of who he is and because of what he gives to us. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What does the psalmist say? He is saying that he is deeply aware of his own limitations. He is deeply aware of of moments and times in life when perhaps time after time there's that sense of him being broken in, in the world in which he lives and being crushed in such a way as to to think that it is very hard as failing in the sense of, of coming to an end. And these limitations are never far from us. If, if they are, then something is wrong in, in our perception of life and our understanding of who we are. There are the limitations in the, the context which, which is the context for the very confidence that the psalmist has. My flesh and heart may feel that God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Simply said, God is my rock. He is the rock of my salvation. The rock of the salvation of the people of God in Places like Deuteronomy chapter 32 and David in in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 22. God is my rock. And and it's that that image of of confidence with with the broken pieces that that speak of the limitation of the psalmist is taken by his understanding of who God is taken and placed upon the rock and reformed and reshaped in such a way that what was broken because of its limitations now finds itself on the rock which is Christ. And from that foundation, and through that foundation, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's connected with the power that there is in Christ as a rock. And as the one who infuses our lives with that power, he is the one who gives confidence to us and shows to us and reminds us that God is my portion forever. That all that God is, that all that God has said, that as Paul says in Romans 8, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. It's having that sense of, of God being your portion. A psalm that's so well known to us, Psalm number 16, that we sing quite often, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. It's that sense of inheriting everything that God has prepared for his people. And Peter speaks of the way in which 
we are saved by the resurrection of the dead to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled, reserved in heaven for you. There is the response of confidence that from our own limitation we look at the limitlessness of God and all that he has promised to give to us. And that's what gives us confidence. That no matter how great our need is, no matter how great the crisis, no matter how much we are in pieces, that he is our portion, he is our inheritance. He reforms and reshapes us and he rebuilds that which was crushed. The response of desire and the response of confidence. We go forward today into this year and, and we do so praying that that will be a response daily to the word of God and to the way in which God reveals himself in his word to us and a response especially to the worship of God, the private worship and especially the public worship of God where the people of God gather together. That is the reality that is the response and there is the resolution the new year resolution that is the resolution and he makes his resolution by being convinced first of all of one crucially important and solemn thing he was brought to the worship of God because of the way in which he was protesting against God because of the way in which society in his day was going on in its ungodly way and prospering. But he has this conviction, having worshipped God, in verse number 27, For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put to an end everyone who is unfaithful to you. An important and solemn conviction. That as we have confidence in God, we are convinced that the ungodly will perish. That those who are far from God, as the people of God were in the Old Testament, who had drifted away instead of being near to God, they were far from God. They are going not just to be lost forever and going to a lost eternity but they are going to endure the eternal wrath of God. Those who forget the Lord their God will surely perish, says Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 8. The ungodly will perish. They will come to an end, all those who are unfaithful. And as we think of, of the psalmist resolution, Today, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then I am convinced from the Word of God that unless you are reconciled to God through Christ, you are going to be lost forever. The Bible says that repeatedly. And we shouldn't try and kid ourselves that it says anything else. 
Because the psalmist has seen that they are on a slippery slope and that judgment will come suddenly and they will be wiped away and will be no more. Don't forget that conviction as we think of a resolution going into this year that if you don't know the Lord it's a matter of urgency for you to seek him. And there is the sense of what's important. But for me what about you? But for me here is his own personal reflection. But for me, it is good. He opened the beginning of the psalm by saying, Truly God is good to Israel. That's God's name. That's his reputation. God is good to his people. But now he goes a step beyond that. For me, it is good to be near to God. The ungodly are far away and they're going to perish. But I'm different. For me, it is good to draw near. Good in the sense that it's good in accordance with the purpose of God and where I'm going to discover the blessing of God and where I'm going to find fulfillment as somebody is now walking in the place where God wants me to walk and where his purposes for humankind through Christ Jesus are being fulfilled. It is good in the way in which the first creation was good when God finished it and the way in which the new creation in the hearts of the children of God is good because God brings about that new creation. It's good to be near God. And that nearness to God is a nearness of communion. So we said at the very beginning, so important to have that. But here it is drawing near to God. That is Resolving that the public worship of God at the sanctuary of God will be at the center of his life from this time onwards. He made the mistake of neglecting it and giving expression to, to thoughts and ideas that were so contrary to the word of God that he came to the stage where if he was going to speak what he was thinking he would have been taken as betraying the people of God. And he does not that, want that to happen ever again. And so he recognizes it is good for him to draw near to God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Dwelling under the shelter of the Almighty as we in Psalm number 91. In, in the shade of the Almighty, the God who is a refuge for his people the safety and, and the security that we find in the God as, we, as he takes us on a journey with them to learn everything that the, Bible has, that the Bible shows to us explaining what God has prepared for his people. That I may tell all your works. and We could say that that is to do with witnessing and evangelizing. But rather in this place, it is praising God for his good works and for the works of salvation. That I may tell of all your works, 
We saw in our call to worship in Psalm number 16, what will I render to the Lord for all his good gifts to me? I will take the cup of salvation. I will pay my vows now to the Lord before all of his people. The resolution to make the public worship of God something that's at the center of his life so that in the collective gathering of the people of God he may be saved from having worldly and ungodly thoughts about the God whom he fears and that instead he will honor God in everything that he does in life. And may God help ourselves to, to have that kind of resolution as we journey on to this new year. We have the assurance that no matter what meets with us, that God will rebuild and he'll repair and he will carry us through and he will give to us all that he has planned to do. And let's, without speaking any kind of selfish way, let's make the most of that. Let's ensure that we are walking in his paths. That's the path of blessing. That's the path of joy in the Lord. It's a path of security. It is a path that helps me to see that after all of this, that God will take me to glory, to be himself, where the one who matters will be there before me and I before him and there in his paradise forevermore. May God bless his word. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we do rejoice in you as the great God of our salvation, the God who speaks to us through your word and pray that you will encourage us today and challenge us and lay hold of our hearts that whatever we, wherever we go during this year into which we are now entering, that we may know that we are yours and that you are ours, that we may so walk with you and know your protection and your peace and your power and your presence every step of life's way. Hear our prayer and accept us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, the psalm is Psalm number 86 in the Scottish Psalter. In verse number 8, it's on page number 341. Psalm 86 at verse number 8. At this stage, I should have mentioned earlier, but at this stage, I'm thankful that Reverend Calamardo Smith has offered to take the service this evening. I'm thankful for that for, for more than one reason, but I've been unwell the last couple of days, so it is a blessing that he offered to take the service, and he has done so before any of the current circumstances were known to him or to anyone else. So we're thankful for that, and uh, he will take the service this evening in my absence. So we sing these words from Psalm number 86 at verse number 8. Lord, there is none among the gods that may with thee compare, and like the works which thou hast done, not any work is there. From verse 8 to verse 11, to God's praise. Lord, there is none
We'll stand for the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.